You are listening to a Hillbilly Horror Stories classic episode. Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. Now welcome your host, Jenny Polly and his lovely wife Tracy. I hear she's a lovely girl. <laughs> to episode 41 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. My name's Jerry, and I'm joined by Tracy. Hello, Jerry. What the hell was that? I was like, hello, Newman. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. And as you might have noticed, we, this is kind of funny, because we started off there playing uh, The Clash, who is from London, which is where our story takes place. Uh, we could have chose a couple of different songs from them. Actually, we could have done London Calling, which would have also made sense. We could have did Should I Stay or Should I Go, since we're talking about a haunted house. That would make sense. Or we could have done London Bridge is Falling Down, Falling Down, Falling Down. The Clash does not do that song. Um, though they would have probably had a rocking rendition. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. But let me tell you how it's funny. Just so everybody knows how we always joke that Tracy doesn't know the show that we're doing. Um, she heard the song that we were playing and she says, what does that have to do with this week's show? And I said, well, they're from London. She says, okay, what's that got to do with reincarnation, which is next week's show. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, honey. (laughs) I was kind of excited about that story. So So somehow she doesn't know the show we're doing now, but she knows what show we're doing next week. I don't know. I hear what I want to hear, I guess. Now, at the end of the show, Tracy is going to sing some country music. And right after that song, there's going to be an interview with the queen of the paranormal. You're going to want to hear this because she actually does healing and uh, readings. But she's also an actress and and goes to all the comic cons. She's actually had a comic book uh, superhero created in her image, which is which is a one of a kind. Uh, and you'll be able to hear the story while well that. But Miss only going to be a, a couple of days from the last show. But we've got Tyler Acox, Paula Johnson, Ryan Jones, Priscilla Gordon, Brian Veerling, Kara George, Jody Peterson, Kathleen Nelson. And that's uh, pretty good, I'd say, for just three or four days. That is amazing. Thank you guys so much for that. And uh, we don't have any new iTunes reviews yet since uh, the last show, so it's only been a couple of days. But we just wanted to say a big thank you to all you guys that have started pledging on, on the Patreon uh, once again, if you're unsure how that works and you're just listening, uh, you can go to our Facebook page. There's a link there. But uh, better yet, it's it's easier if you go to our website, uh, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. 
That way you can actually buy t-shirts, you can make a one-time donation to the show, or you can sign up for our Patreon. And the Patreon has four different levels, uh, everything from $1 to $10 a month. And it each each thing gets you more gifts, so to speak. So uh, a $3 pledge gets you an extra show uh, a month, and uh, $5 gets you two shows, $10 gets you a Skype visit. Uh, with me and Tracy, as well as the two free shows. But it's all broke down for you on there. I won't bore you with details. So just go to it and check it out. Yeah. And once again, we do appreciate it. You guys we are, do you guys are great. Yes. Uh, it means a lot to us when we do something, when you guys reach into to your hard-earned money and say, hey, you deserve this because we get that much enjoyment from the show. It's very humbling, but it's also very exciting at the same time. It, I, I'm still, I don't know. I'm just still... Uh... I don't even know the word, honestly. Yeah, I guess humbled is the same thing, I guess I'm, I'm trying to say. But it's just amazing to me that you guys have really reached out and to us and helped us with all your nice comments and things like that. And we just really appreciate you so much. I just sometimes don't believe it's even real sometimes. Yeah, I literally, the first thing in the morning, as soon as I wake up, I roll over and grab my phone and start looking to see if there's any new reviews or uh, comments that you guys have posted to the Facebook page or emails uh, tweets, any of those things. I, I love all those things. And then I repost everything. So it is, it is exciting to be able to know that you guys actually give a shit about what we do. So yay for giving a shit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> With that being said, we've got some awesome stories for you. This is one that I've been talking about doing for literally since we started the show, but I wanted to wait for the right time to do it. So tonight's the night. We're going to talk about the, some people will call it the infield polter, uh, the infield poltergeist. Some people call it the infield haunting, and um, most of you will know it out there as the story behind The Conjuring 2. So if you've seen The Conjuring 2, this is uh, pretty close. It went, it went pretty close to what actually happened here. Then we actually had a, a um, listener that suggested something for me. And I really wasn't that familiar with the subject, so I researched it. And when I did, I decided to get it on this week. And he just talked to me about it, I think, at the beginning of the last week. So that's that's how intriguing I thought it was. But the uh, the listener was uh, Miguel um, Magdaleno, or Magdalene. It's actually Magdaleno, because he said it was just like uh, Mary Magdalene, oh. except with an O. Oh, cool. So cool name. But he had suggested Bachelor Grove Cemetery in Chicago, mm-hmm. which is actually one of the most haunted cemeteries in the uh, country. Wow. And so we're going to do that story too. Okay. So how about that? Hey, so let's let's jump into this because this is this is actually a pretty uh, complex story and there's uh, a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about the pros and the cons of it. Uh, Tracy, I'm assuming you know nothing about the story. That would be correct. Okay, good. So you'll be as surprised as the <laughs> listeners will. <laughs> so as I said before, the Enfield uh, Poltergeist. It's the story behind the Conjuring too. It's in North London. 284 Green Street is the actual address. So if you live in London, just swing by and take a look at it because it does still exist. This all took place from 1977 to 79. We had Peggy Hodgson. She moved into this house. Uh, She had four kids at the time, Margaret, who was 13, Janet, who was 11, Johnny, 10, and Billy, age 7. She's just going through a divorce. There was a lot of uh, emotions, trauma, and stuff built in, which actually may have something to do with the case. Now, Margaret and Janet apparently experimented a little bit with a Ouija board, just kind of trying to, I guess, get their mind off things, so they thought it would be fun. Uh, Apparently, something 
came back through the Ouija board because shortly after this is when everything started happening. So in 1977, it all started when, when Peggy heard uh, one of the girls screaming. I think it was the, the youngest one, Janet. She hears her screaming. She runs back to the bedroom to find out that both of the beds, Janet's and the boys' beds, were like vibrating uh, like to the point where they're bouncing, practically their feet are bouncing off the floor. Hmm. And as she starts to go in there, this heavy dresser slides to shut the door. Now she's inside the room. Everybody's inside the room and there's a dresser on the wall. The door is open and the, and the dresser slides towards the door, closing the door. She comes over, grabs the dresser. She pulls it back and it pushes back. The dresser pushes itself back to the point where she can't do it anymore. She gets scared, obviously. And she does the obvious thing when you're scared by ghosts. She calls the police. Cause there's, <laughs> Cause that's what they, they can protect you as for sure. <laughs> so, she gets the police call. The police come out, and the first thing that happened is there was a uh, a constable by the name of uh, Caroline Heaps. She saw this heavy recliner that was in the room just slide forward about four feet. So the first thing she did, obviously, is she wanted to go over there to kind of check it out to see if there was some kind of wires or somebody pushing it, and she didn't see anything over there at all. So she was noticeably kind of like, what the hell's going on? Um, well, I mean, that sounds dumb to me. What? See if there's a wire on the recliner. Well, I mean, if you're in the house and you see a recliner just all of a sudden move four feet with nobody around it, you want to make sure there's not some kind of hoax going on or or they're not trying to play some kind of practical joke and, and wasting police officers' time. So it is what it is. The police said there was nothing they could do about it because obviously it was not a police matter, and they left. But what if the chair assaulted them? But the chair didn't assault them. <laughs> but wait, what if the chair <laughs> assaulted them for real? Then would it be a police matter? I would think so, but the chair didn't assault them. Go with me. It here. didn't a pepper them or not. What? <laughs> 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 Well, what do you want me to say? I don't know. I think it's... <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what I want I to mean, say. I mean, it'd be funny if they went there in a peanut mood and you said, what if the peanut assaulted them? But <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a peanut. It was a chair. I just... I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to get at is if something really did happen to the person, and it's so stupid, but I mean... I, I mean, know it was the, a recliner. Well, police going to re- arrest the recliner? I mean, it was a recliner. The most it could do is make them relax. <laughs> it's... <laughs> And I don't think there's a crime against that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Can I can I move along now? Uh, you can go. I'm sorry. So the media got word, obviously, that all this was going on. So they sent uh, a, a photographer down from the Daily Mirror, which is one of the, the newspapers there in England, the big one. And they actually witnessed things being flung around the room. Um, and they kind of screamed in terror. They said everybody in the room just kind of screamed when they started seeing this stuff fly around the room. So BBC sent a film crew down there. And the lady that was there, she said she felt like invisible hands were pushing her. Mm-hmm. And then all this film that they took, hardly any of it turned out. It was all damaged. Oh, man. Yep. So a guy by the name of Maurice Gross, who just recently lost a daughter, and he worked for the Society of uh, Psychic Research, which is the oldest group of psychic researchers, um, he decided that he wanted to take a look at it. He get, gets a guy named uh, Guy Lion Playfair. Uh, to help him out, they go in. They actually spent several months with the family. 
and he's got like over 180 hours worth of audio tape mm-hmm. uh, on on just interviews and stuff going back and forth. So the whole in the several months that they've been there, the whole time they witness lots of paranormal stuff. I mean, everything from um, Legos flying around the room, which this was kind of cool. Lego blocks flying around the room. And then when they did hit the ground, when you go and pick them up, he said they were so hot you could you couldn't even hold them. What? I guess from the energy of making them. So you know, if you, something's going to spin around the room and it's some kind of energy, do it. I would imagine it probably would be hot. Yeah, I guess it would. Um, he saw tables and chairs. Like the the chairs would spin around, like in the same spot. They would just spin in circles where they're at, and tables would do the same thing. I guess the night tables and mm-hmm. stuff. He said the sofas would levitate off the ground. Rock which rocks would be thrown inside the house. Man, from, you could be bobbing and weaving in there. <laughs> he said it was like an invisible force, so you couldn't see. They were just thrown from nowhere. God bless. That's and crazy. then coins would appear. I mean, like right in front of people. It's just like there's no coin, and also there's a coin there. Dogs would bark in empty rooms. So I mean, it's like they didn't have a dog. But Wait, they, what? Yeah, they didn't have a dog, but dogs would be barking in empty rooms. Like, there'd be a dog barking in the next room over, but they didn't have a dog. Oh, my Lord. That's crazy. And so Mr. Gross, he gets all this audio and stuff, like I said. And part of what he gets are these demonic voices coming from both of the girls. And we'll get into that a little bit later because I'm going to play you some clips of some of the interviews. But the, the activity was primarily in the bedroom initially where all this had started at. So they emptied everything out of the bedroom, every bed, every toy. They went back the next day, and there was a big iron fireplace that was attached to the wall. had been completely ripped off the wall. Big, heavy iron fireplace. Dang, on. They were like, hey, man, you didn't get everything out of this room. <laughs> yeah, let me help. <laughs> uh, one day, Mr. Gross was, was next door with, with the neighbor talking to him, and they heard Margaret screaming. She's the older of the girls. They run over there. She was at the top of her stairs. Her leg was up in the air as if something was pulling her by the leg. They reach out, both neighbors, they reach out and grab her by the arm, and they're trying to pull her back with everything they've got, and it was like they couldn't do it. I mean, they they eventually got her, but, I mean, it was literally like whatever was pulling her mm-hmm. was stronger than both of them put together. Wow. Janet, obviously, she was the younger of the, of the two uh, girls. She probably suffered more torment than any of the other, and and. Like I said, several of the audio that we got is is primarily uh, Janet speaking uh, through these voices. And we're going to talk about what some of these voices actually are. Um, but it, it, they felt like that they were possibly um, possessed by several different spirits in the house, mm-hmm. not just one. They felt like that there was probably seven spirits in the house is what the number was of them trying to identify. Now, one of those spirits was a guy by the name of Bill Wilkins. Now, Bill lived and died in that house. That's already been proven uh, prior to them moving in. Mm -hmm. And I think what I want to do now is I'm going to play you this interview where this demonic voice tells them that he is Bill Wilkins. Pay close attention to this. I want you to tell me whether you remember... What happened to you when you died? Days before I died, I went blind. Then I had an hemorrhage, and I fell asleep, and I died in a chair 
in the corner downstairs. Why can't Janet fool you? I'm invisible. You're invisible? Why are you invisible? That actually started the interview um, right after he had said that he was Bill Wilkins, uh, just to save some time there. But that voice that you're hearing is coming from an 11-year-old girl. What? Yeah, that was an 11-year-old girl. Oh, my gosh. So that's, you know, you can make a judgment of yourself uh, about how that sounds, but... There was actually some people that that doubted that there was you know possession going on. Uh, they said that that she was using skills of a ventriloquist, uh, but they even at one point in time filled her mouth with water and she still did it. Well, what would you do to me if I started speaking at like something like that? Would you kill me? Well, no, there's still laws against it. Well, I know you wouldn't kill me, but <laughs> I mean, what if I started speaking like that to you one day? I would just figure you probably had too many packs of Paul Malls. <laughs> <laughs> Don't smoke, yeah. I'm, Crazy. I've, I've always been a big fan of The Simpsons, and their sisters were always a turn on to me. Oh, so that is it gross. might be kind of hot. No, that's not hot. Their voices <laughs> are not good. <laughs> so, anyways, um, Maurice and, and, and Guy, they, they saw things such as t shirts jumping off a table. Like he was standing right next to the table, there's a t shirt, and it jumped straight off the table and flew across the room. What? That is crazy. I just don't even know. Okay, so I know that you're still telling the story, but <laughs> I'm trying anyway. Oh, go ahead and finish. Go I'm ahead. Saying, no, I was just gonna say <laughs> I was just gonna tell everybody that our TV turned on again the other night. Yep, that was interesting. And and tell them what day it was. Mother's Day. Mother's Day. So we're laying in the bed. We're getting ready to go to sleep. Neither one of us had the remote. It's it's on the. Uh, a table that was actually in front of our bed. We actually record our podcast on a little card table in front of our bed in our bedroom suit. Our bedroom, uh, in our bedroom. <laughs> Whatever the hell. But anyway, the remotes were down here. And it, I don't know what time was it, like 1130 yeah, or something Yeah, it was about like 1130 that. or so. Yeah, and we were just laying there, and I didn't even notice it. And Jerry's like, damn it, the TV came back on again. And I'm like, oh, man. And keep in mind, both of our both of our mothers are past. So it does. It doesn't surprise me that that happened on Mother's Day. Oh my gosh, man! Okay, sorry, honey. Go ahead. Yeah. So actually, actually, it was the most action that's happened in this bedroom in months. Oh, there we go. Well, you almost made it. I didn't. I didn't do it any of the last show. Oh, you didn't. (laughs) All right. So, anyways, they would. They would. (laughs) And he's got this on tape too, but I didn't actually play this for you. Um, He. They would hear whistling and barks actually coming from the direction of Janet. And they've got a bunch of, like, you know, it's almost like a parakeet whistling and Mm -hmm. a dog barking. Mm -hmm. It's actually a pretty good impersonation of a dog if that's what she was doing. Mm -hmm. So back to Bill Wilkins. She described the exact detail of his death, and it matched the death certificate of how Bill said he died. Everything from him, you know, not on the death certificate, but uh, they found out through, through prior relatives and stuff that he actually did go blind. And then he actually did have a hemorrhage, and that was the cause of death, hmm. like a brain aneurysm. Yeah. And then he did was found dead in that chair, oh my that gosh. same chair that was moving across the floor. Wow! So wickety whack wick. Wickety whack wick. Would that? you like to tell the group that you're going to be singing some country tonight? I would not like to tell the group that. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. 
I almost played the Seinfeld music to start because I thought it said the Seinfeld haunting instead of the Enfield haunting. I was so close. Oh, you're off just a tad. So Janet, they asked her about when when she was having these um, demonic voices come out of her. She said, and I quote, I knew when the voices were happening, of course, it was it felt like somebody was behind me uh, the whole time. They did all sorts of uh, tricks, uh, filling her mouth with water and so on. But the voices still kept coming out. Wow, that's amazing. There's some famous pictures. You you guys can Google this. Uh, I'm going to try to remember to put them on the, the site. But every time I say I'm going to do that, I actually don't. Uh, so you might be better off just Googling it. But if you Google the infield haunting or the infield poltergeist, you will notice um, pictures that it's going to, it's got a, <laughs> you can't miss it because it's a picture of the bed. And then there's another bed beside it. And on all the wall, it's covered with Starsky and Hutch posters. Nice. Uh, from back in the 70s, obviously, David Soul and uh, what's the other guy's name? Paul Michael Glazer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can see her up in the air. And it looks like she's just jumping off the bed. But there's actually a couple pictures. And what they were saying was at the time, she actually was thrown across the room. Oh, my gosh. Just, just in the bed and just thrown across the room. Mm-mm. And you, though, like I said, those pictures are out there. It's supposed to be one of the more famous actual pictures mm-hmm. of, of uh, paranormal activity. So oh it's pretty goodness. easy to find. God, that now, would be so scary. She said the scariest thing that happened to her was one time the curtains just wrapped around her neck and started strangling her, and she thought she was going to die, but her mom came in and took everything she had of her mom's strength to be able to pull the curtains off of her wow. neck. Wow. So some of the incidents involved um, fires. They actually would have some stuff would just spontaneously combust. Um, marbles would randomly appear, just like the thing. Mm-hmm. Books supposedly would go through brick walls and literally like go through the wall and then appear on the other side of the wall. Okay. Well then that's a shitty made house. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> if we can go through a brick wall. And of course, uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren visited in 1978. Now, if you've seen the movie, the conjuring Two, basically the whole movie is based on Ed and Lorraine Warren and their visit over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, in real life, they, they were one of many investigators that came over, but it wasn't like it was portrayed in the movie. I mean, there's very little, when you actually do research on this, there's very little about Ed and Lorraine Warren having to do with this case. No kidding. Yeah. So they were, you know, a part of it, and they did have some comments. I mean, Ed Warren said that, that, you know, this was a 100% real case, Mm -hmm. and that, um, you know, there's demons in the house, and it was obvious. But he also is the same guy who said the Amityville Horror was real and told the the attorney and the author of the book just make it up if you don't have a good enough story you know and some of the other stuff so i mean it's you know it's what kind of crap is that well it's and i wish you weren't a liar yeah probably somebody just wanted to get a little money and didn't really care terrible so so that's the basic story of what happened according to the people involved now just like any story like this there's always going to be discrepancies so let's talk about what skeptics have pointed out um, to make them believe that this wasn't a totally true story. Because some people just said that they thought the girls were fabricating the story. They're just wanting attention. And, you know, that that was what the whole thing. They're making the voices up and, and all this stuff. So let's, t- let's play devil's advocate, pun intended, um, and let's see what we got here. Now, the first thing is they found a torn up magazine 
from another poltergeist case uh, from a Matthew Manning. So that suggested right off the bat that these they, they knew about poltergeist and what could go on because this magazine had already made a big deal about the poltergeist in this house. Now, the funny thing is, one of the first things that they mentioned that was missing in their house that they that tipped them off that there was poltergeist was a teapot went missing. Well, in the magazine article with Matthew Manning, that was the thing that he pointed out was there was a teapot missing in his story. Hmm. So it's kind of funny that they are eerily similar. So then everything in the house, there's all these things in the house were destroyed, but nothing destroyed was expensive. Like their TV set, which, you know, in the 70s is an expensive, you know, thing to have. Nothing ever happened to the TV. Nothing ever happened to anything expensive. It was just always cheap shit like Lego bricks and, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. So people just thought that was kind of odd. If you got all this activity going on, why wouldn't it damage something like a TV that's an electrical device? Which, well, because if they didn't want to damage the TV because they could get in the TV. It's, it's not Carol Ann. Well, how do you know? Well, because I just know. Yeah. Anyway. So the two girls were caught purposely bending spoons. That was one of the things. You know how people can bend spoons with their mind? That's like one of those little tricks. You can just look at a spoon and look at a spoon and it'll start to get hot and it'll bend. That's a trick of uh, people that have telekinesis and stuff like that. Oh, I don't think I've ever tried that. Well, I didn't say you've tried it, I just, but most people's com- common knowledge. I mean, I've never tried to play in the NFL, but I know it exists. <laughs> <laughs> so I probably could if it wasn't for my severe lack of talent. And you're kind of short. Oh. I'm sorry. That's all right. Sorry. So they were bending these spoons (laughs) and they got caught purposely doing it. So like with their hands. Mm -hmm. So they already know there was some stuff they were doing was fake. They got caught jumping off the bed and kind of flailing their arms and stuff like they were possessed. So, but it was obvious that they were faking that. Now we talked about the picture earlier, the famous picture that's, you know, look like that she was thrown across the room. Yeah, how do you explain that? Well, that's a good question, and I have an answer. Oh, come on in. <laughs> if you look, people will look at the pictures, and they'll see the they'll say like in her legs and stuff. You can see the muscle contractions mm-hmm. that show that she jumped because it's it would be in a position of jumping rather than being tossed. And then when you take in consideration, she was also a renowned gymnast at her high school. At her, at her school, grade yeah, school. Yeah, that's a far stretch. Yeah, Come but she, now. she's a gymnast, so it, she's a gymnast, and she just happens to be able to do these things that most people can't do. Okay, but I don't buy that. If she's on the bed, and they th- and she's going to throw herself against a wall, I don't believe it. Okay, fine. I don't. They screwed up on an interview, and this is one of the ones that people really point to. They screw up on this interview by saying, and I'm going to play this for you, but I want you to kind of hear what it is. The lady asked them, she's from BBC Scotland. She says, how does it feel to be haunted or something of that nature? Janet says, it's not haunted. And her sister, Margaret, smiles, looks over at her and says, shut up and giggles as if to say, what are you doing? You're going to screw it up. Yeah. So let me play that part for you now so you can hear that. How does it feel to be haunted by a poltergeist? It's not haunted. Now, when you actually watch the video, uh, you can see that when Margaret turns to her and tells her to shut up, she's giggling, you know, like like two kids. Now, some people would say that the constant giggling uh, was a sign that they were just 
putting something on and they were just having fun. But then some people would say that the constant giggling uh, was just two little girls just being shy in mm-hmm. front of the camera and nervous, kind yeah. of like nervous laughter. Now, Janet, who, you know, we're talking, you know, basically, and she's in her 40s now. She did an interview a couple of years back and she admitted that 2%, I don't know where she came up with that figure at, but 2% of everything that happened in that house, her and her sister made up. But the other 98% was real. No. So that's, wow. what, I mean, that's what she says. Well, see, she didn't give herself much credit for it, so. Right. Now, Ray Allen, who is a veteran ventriloquist, he said that that raspy voice that Janet did could be done by any student of ventriloquism. And guess what? She was also a student of ventriloquism. Come on. I mean, I don't, that, I don't know. It seems really hard. You don't, you don't think it's odd that, that this girl who does these voices and flies off the bed just happens to be a great gymnast at school and studies ventriloquism. You don't find that odd at all. I do find it odd. I think I find the thing more odd is the throwing myself across the room. I mean, she literally have to do flips after flips or something and then just hit the wall. Well, no, she just sprung herself from the bed. Nobody said she hit the wall. Oh, I, maybe it's me and thinking how far away the bed is from the <laughs> wall. I don't know. I mean, she just basically flew out of the bed. No, you know, I said across the room, but I mean, no. well, I, I didn't mean that, you know, she did a triple axel and... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's skating. That's not even. <laughs> maybe if know. it was the winter time. Anyways, let's go I back. I don't know. Maybe it's true. I don't know. So the demon voice. Let's talk about that. Hey, I'm going to gay. Uh... That sounded like a gay fat Albert. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to do a demonic voice. Okay, well, try. it didn't sound like it. I hope the country singing turns out way better than that. that didn't sound like it me it didn't no damn it no that sounded like something that would be on uh like scary movie or something the wayans would do <laughs> oh my god i give up so the demonic voice <laughs> this is actually what i found what as sad as this is this is one of the more interesting parts of the story i think because <laughs> i didn't know this but the demonic voice it, it didn't come from her vocal cords it came from her false vocal cords which your false vocal cords, everybody has, they are bands of ligaments, and they play little part in making a sound, but you can actually use them, but if you use them, the average person in about 10 minutes, you're completely hoarse and have a sore throat. Dang. Now, where does this come into play with her? She would talk like that for sometimes up to four hours. Oh, gosh. So that part says, it sounds like it could be a hoax because you could do that. But then the other part says that she did it for four hours, so that proves that kind of wrong. Now, Well, she deserves a sore throat after that, if that's what she did. Here's some things that people, you know, in their defense. First of all, how can these two girls rip rip and tear a damn iron uh, fireplace out of the wall? Oh, yeah, what about that? You know, she did the talking for up to four hours. And how could they keep up the constant charade of stuff flying through the air? The barking, the knocking on the walls, that was the, the, the <laughs> ninjas right on target. And But how could they keep that up for 18 months without getting busted? You know, this went on for 18 months. That's a long damn time. Yeah, that's that's a long time. So what, what did they say about the um, furnace then? 
But they didn't. They just said, you know, well, how could they do that? Well, I mean, if they're going to blame them for all that other stuff, then they need to have an explanation for the furnace. Okay, it fell off the wall. <laughs> we already know they got cheap walls because books are going through them. So what the hell? <laughs> True story. Now, the, the, <laughs> that was funny. The, the mom, after the girls moved out of the house, when they got old enough to move out, the mom stayed there. Now, supposedly. Back in like 79, uh, Janet said that a priest came in, did, you know, some blessings and stuff. And most of the stuff calmed down, but it didn't completely go away, but most of it calmed down. So they move out. Eventually, the mom stays there. And the mom actually suffered a nervous breakdown. Well, why would she, she stay there? Well, I don't know. Unless she didn't believe it. I think the mom, I think in back of her head, I think she thought that, that the, the girls, girls were doing it. this or it was some kind of poltergeist activity because as we've discussed before with poltergeist if you've got two teenage oh. girls in the house not with all cases but in this case two teenage girls in the house and a dog barking in the background <laughs> but if they're going through a rough time in life you know with with their divorce and handling yeah. things you get teenagers going through puberty that's when these poltergeist activities happen. So it just could be power and stuff they were mani- manifesting. You're blaming it on PMS, in other words. Somewhat. Somewhat. That can get you hurt. You know that, right? Yeah. See? Must be that time. Um, <laughs> so, but she, she stayed there. But she asked the daughters after a nervous breakdown to never talk about it again. So I, that leads me to believe that she thinks it had a little bit to do with them. So she stayed there till she died in 2003. Then Claire Bennett and her four kids moved in. They stayed there for two months and moved out. <laughs> so maybe it wasn't them. Bye, Felicia. <laughs> yeah. So like I said, some some people think it could be fake. Um, some people think it could be real, but it's not really up for us to decide that. It's basically up for you guys to decide. That's that's pretty much as much information as I could really dig up without boring you because some of the stuff there was tedious. But that tells you uh, pretty much anything you need to know about the infield haunting. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, honestly, I would have never thought those girls would do that. And mom's just dumb for staying there after the girls moved out. I would have got the heck out of Dodge there. I would have just went somewhere else. She didn't have to worry about, you know, housing them anymore. Yeah, and... but you got to realize this took place from 77 to 79. The girls were 11 and 13. If they moved out, I mean, that would have put it in like 85, 86. And by that time... Nothing's really been going on for five, six, seven years. So why not stay there? I don't know. If you made it that long. Well, you got all the fucking answers. You said the <laughs> F word. I know. I'm tuning up for when uh, we do that. And that's, and that's why we drink show. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, peeps. <laughs> this would be the time where we uh, would like to introduce our new sponsor. Uh, but we don't have one, so we won't. <laughs> 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 so I will remind you guys that it would be a great time. You can put this on pause if you'd like and go give us an iTunes reviews. It really helps us out. <laughs> I said an iTunes reviews. I'd made it plural when it's not. I get screwed up with like iTunes because you get the little I and then the big T. Come on. That's that's ass backwards. But they help get us found. So I guess I should shut up before we get haunted by them. Oh, my God. Oh, guess what happened, you all? So one, what was it? The night before last, I was upstairs by myself and Jerry was downstairs. <laughs> oh my God. So I'm sitting there, I was painting my fingernails 
And all of a sudden, I heard this noise, and it sounded just like, I can't do it because, but it sounded like a somebody saying something backward. I I looked over, and Jerry's iPad was on his uh, nightstand, but it was closed. It wasn't open. His phone wasn't up here, nothing. I'm like, what the crap was that? And I mean, I didn't know what to do. And it lasted just about, it was like three or four words, and it was over. So I, the speaker was over there and it was on. So I went over and automatically I just turned the speaker off as fast as I could. And Jerry was downstairs. I have no clue what that was. And then with the TV going off this week, I'm like, it was a little freaky for me around here. And I came upstairs and like every light upstairs was Was on. on. I mean, (laughs) I'm just setting up like, what is that? (laughs) Oh my God, it scared me. I don't know what it was. Okay. That's all I have to say about that. So leave us the iTunes reviews. We greatly appreciate it. I haven't said it yet, so we want to say thank you to all of our military and our uh, civil servants out there that protect all of us and and keep us uh, cozy at home while you guys are out doing all the hard work. Yes, amen. Got a cool, uh, some pictures sent in from Victoria over in Germany in our military of a bunch of of the guys and gals over there watching or listening to the show before uh, they got their day started in germany so that was very cool we appreciate it, it. Cool. thank you thank you for that victoria thank you guys for listening and because sometimes we just ramble on as you could probably tell tonight as she's doing right now right as i was in the middle of something i'm sorry how am i supposed to sell t-shirts if you're rambling on i don't know babe go to our website and buy t-shirts thank you <laughs> please and now, thank you you guys have heard sorry almost hit my mouth again it's gonna start to be a habit <laughs> stop so, I just, <laughs> I was, <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't know if it's just late <laughs> or what the deal is. He almost barked in his mouth again. It was so gross. Okay. So, I'm going to tell you a couple of things coming up. On on June 11th, we do have the joint show with the girls from And That's Why We Drink. I'm super excited about that. This this uh, week, I'm actually doing an interview that will play on next week's show. This is one that it, it kind of fell in my lap, and I'm I'm really excited about this too. But it's Bo Keister from Hillbilly Horror Show. And if you guys haven't checked that out yet, go on YouTube and watch some of the stuff. They've got their own YouTube channel. They've got, uh, he was in, uh, uh, remember the Titans. He was in a movie on Netflix. It's actually pretty awesome called the taking of, uh, Deborah Logan. He's in that, but he's, uh, he's an actor. He's in, and, uh, but he also does some comedy. He does a little horror movie stuff, but Hillbilly horror show. They've been, they've got, like I said, they've got their own channel, but they've been doing stuff since 2014. You can look them up on IMDB, but what they do is they do little Hillbilly satire jokes and stuff like that. And then they introduce a horror movie. And then they, they do that. It's like a 15, 20 minute horror movie shorts. And then they go back to the, the fun and stuff. But most of it takes place uh, outside or in a trailer. But absolutely hilarious. The, the guys are going to give us a DVD to give away for you, to you, one of you guys. And uh, we're going to do that probably next week. So it should be shipped to me this week. And then uh, we'll get it out to that as soon as we get it. So thank you guys very much. And we're going to jump into our next story because we got one more. Really? Yep. And next week's show, because I'll forget to do that too. 
it is on past lives uh, and reincarnation. On the surface, that might seem kind of boring, but I'm telling you, I've already been researching it a week and a half early, and we've got some stories that are going to blow your mind. I mean, this could end up being, this will be some people's favorite show. When yeah, it's all said I and done, it's it's this. awesome. I mean, Tracy's interested in it before we even get this show out of the way, and I she's know. And she never even knows what show we're doing, but I she's fascinated. Mean, I wonder this what is, I was in my past life. But <laughs> this next story uh, actually is pretty cool too. It's on Bachelor Grove Cemetery. So some background on on Bachelor Grove Cemetery. It's on the southwest side of Chicago. It's one acre in size, and it got named that because back uh, uh, during the original settler days. In the early 1800s, it was bought and divided up by four single guys. So they named it Bachelor's Grove. Oh, that's cool. It was thought to be an Indian burial ground uh, before the settlers came in. And the first known burial was 1938. But it's possible that some German immigrants were buried there in 1934 that were uh, killed working on the Illinois and Michigan Canal. Oh. But there's no record of it. So there's no people think it happened, but they don't have any proof that it happened. The last burial there was in 1965. In the 1920s and the 30s, it it was pretty much thought that the mob there, the Chicago mob, uh, would dump bodies into the pond that was on there. And they they pretty much know this because when the police would pull bodies out of the pond, they would also find a bunch of illegal guns and weapons and stuff. Oh, my gosh. So they pretty much told them that the mob was involved. What a horrible thing to have to do. Now, in the 1950s, this is when everything kind of started. There was no record of hauntings or anything until the 50s. Now, in the 1950s, teenagers uh, started kind of using it as a party place because what happened was all around the cemetery, it began to be housing and stuff like that. So now you got all these kids and teenagers and stuff that didn't used to be around the area. The problem was, obviously, they wouldn't just come there and party. They would vandalize. There mm. was headstones broken, That's moved over, uh, all kinds of uh, graffiti and stuff on them. Even some grave robbing. There was, there was, you know, t- graves that were actually dug up and the caskets open. Oh, my Lord. So it, it got to be a really big problem. And, you know, at one time, this place had about 200 bodies in it because there was so much vandalism and stuff going on. People started having bodies taken out. And I think they say today there's anywhere between 70 to 100 bodies still there. But 100 of them have been moved wow. already. Maybe between 100 and 130 have been moved. The other big thing that goes on there is satanic cults. I guess because of uh, the easy access, it's kind of sits back in the woods away from everything. So you have to, there there used to be a main road that was uh, back in the settlers days that led right back to it. And that's been blocked off for years. So now it's just like a path Mm -hmm. that leads back there. But it's like, I think I said it's about a half a mile or three quarters of a mile walk from where the gate is that closes it off. So it's a pretty good, pretty good walk just to get back there. There's still a lot of people that go back there and hang out. Still, still apparently satanic cults back there and um, teenagers and just people that are, you know, sick. Well, not sick, but people are just fascinated with the yeah. uh, with the hauntings of the cemetery. Still go back there and check it out. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I can understand that. But that other stuff this crap. Now, people blame all the paranormal activity on all the, the grave desecration, and the occults, you know, situations disrupting the dead, which you guess you, you could kind of understand that. The uh, 1970s, they put a big fence up about around it, uh, just a big chain link fence to try to keep people out. But it didn't it didn't stop the vandalism. So here's some of the stuff that actually goes on in there. 
in front of the uh, cemetery, there's a bunch of wrecks out there because people see a phantom car. That's like it's like it drives towards them and it veers them off the road, but then then there was no actual car. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so that's that's one of the things that happened. There are lots of blue orbs. Everybody that takes a picture out there it seems like almost everybody's got pictures of orbs. Why? Why blue? I don't know, but that's what they see. One of the coolest things is a phantom house. There's supposed to be a house that just appears. Like it's it's if you're in a cemetery and you go back in the woods a little bit, like I think it's a couple blocks or so. There's a house that just appears, and it seems like it's floating in the air. And you can actually walk towards it, but as you walk towards it, it gets smaller and smaller and eventually just disappears. And uh, like I said, it's just kind of cool that people see that. One of the more famous pictures, um, and you can look this one up. This is another good one. I'll try to remember to post it. It's the lady in white. They call her the uh, the white Madonna in this case, but it's the same old lady in white story. But she walks around supposedly holding a baby. Nobody really has a background on what that is. But there's a really cool picture that looks like a lady sitting just on a flat headstone. It looks just like a, a block uh, sitting there. And it looks really clear as to what it is. So much so where you would think it really is just a woman sitting there. But the people that took the picture uh, said that there was nobody there when they took the picture. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And <laughs> this is... There's a um, there's a tombstone there that says, uh, and, I, and I didn't write this down, so I'm going on memory, but I think it says infant girl is what it says, infant mm-hmm. something. And people come there and they bring, they're supposed to bring gifts. So if you go there, there's always like little candles lit and there's little stuffed animals and uh, stuff like that at this, because supposedly if you don't bring her something that, you know, you're set to be haunted by her. So people, that's like a little thing that people, but there's, it's just like when we talked about with Marie Laveau's tomb, there's always a bunch of stuff there. So people people, really do that. Oh yeah. Yeah. This was my favorite story out of all of them. Supposedly on this land there, uh, and we mentioned the pond there where the, uh, the mob was throwing people, but on this land, there was a guy that with his horse and one of the manual plows, you know, that you walk behind, mm-hmm. the horse pulls and you walk behind. And supposedly the horse got spooked. He ran off into the pond and the guy trailing right behind it and both of them drowned. Oh, well, why didn't he let the, go of the rain? I have no clue. I was not involved in that situation. Oh, now, Paul Ingalls would have never done that. Well. Paul Ingalls would let go of the rain. That's and it. I guarantee 90% of our listeners have no clue who Paul Ingalls is. Oh, he's a, like a really hot guy with he wears suspenders with no shirt. On Little House on the Prairie, you still didn't give it away. That could have been know. a damn fireman uh, calendar for all you just described. I know, but I was just picturing him in my mind. <laughs> Whatever it takes. Um, <laughs> so the the funny thing about this story is, there's people on the main road out there that that swear that on occasion you will see a horse come from the woods with a guy on the plow behind it and go straight across the road and you have to stop for it. What? Yeah. There's been several people say that they see that. Some people say that they see like a two headed, uh, creature. One of them's got a horse. One of the heads is a horse and one of them's a man. So they think that could be the same thing. I don't know. Well, that was dumb on his part to hold on is all I'm saying. The other thing that one of the other things people see out there is they see hooded figures. Uh, and some people seem to think that it could be monks. Really? Yeah. It's in the woods. Could be chipmunks. You know that was my nickname. I know. In school. I know. Thanks for bringing that up. 
but they people have seen that as as late as 1984. No way. Yep. Another thing that people have seen, and this this is, goes back just to the 1990s, but there's a black dog that apparently is just seen all the time at the entrance of the cemetery. Really, I would love to see a dog. Yeah, well, what if it's a demonic dog? We know what black dogs mean at cemeteries. Not all, not always. Could be a loving dog that wants to play. Well, guys, we appreciate it. It's been a fun week. Uh, we got a little bit shorter show than we have been doing. It's still going to end up being about 50 minutes long, uh, but we had uh, some obligations. We're actually, uh, this Sunday, uh, we have to go to a benefit. I'm hosting a benefit for a friend of ours that has, needs some medical attention and uh, help paying his bills from uh, some major medical problems he encountered a couple months ago. So I'm happy to do that. But it uh, uh, cut me short on time this week for doing the podcast, for us having to be there all day Sunday, which I have no problem doing. But we wanted to make sure that you guys still had a podcast, so we just did it early. Yeah. So we enjoy doing this for you guys, and we hope you enjoy what we put out. And uh, trust me when I tell you, we, we give everything we've got into putting these shows together. You have no clue with our work schedules and then coming straight home and putting time into these things. Uh, But we want you guys to have the best. So we have no problem doing it. Not a bit. And we always have a good time. And sometimes I laugh too much. Sorry about that, y'all. And sometimes it causes us a bad review. It's our (laughs) our only two-star review. I know. They didn't like my laugh. That said that uh, wife's laugh was very annoying. Oh, haters. (laughs) I'm sorry if my laugh is annoying. (laughs) But we're going to close the night. With uh, we got Tracy singing. Now you, she's been doing this rapping and stuff, and we have a good time with it. And we laugh and poke fun at her, but she actually can sing. And uh, I thought I would, you know, she's did enough for the fun of the show that she ha- should have an opportunity to show you guys that she's not a one trick pony. Because uh, we definitely know. Like when you said, "What were you in a past life?" It definitely was not a rapper. <laughs> what, did, what did I say? Huh? You said you said you said what was I in a past? Oh, life? that's when you said that rude remark. That's right. Oh yeah. Oh, how could I forget? <laughs> well, I still love you though. I know no, I love you too. I know you do. So yeah, we're gonna close this show out and um, enjoy the many sounds of Tracy Polly. I should say the soothing sounds, the melodic sounds, or right. the screeching sounds. <laughs> you never know what you're gonna get. So enjoy. We'll see you guys next week. Don't forget next week's show, Past Lives, Reincarnation. I'm telling you, this is going to blow your mind. And if you do not believe in reincarnation or you've never really thought about it, I bet you by the end of next week's show, you're going to be rethinking it. And probably, I bet half of you believe after the show. Yeah, me too. We'll see you guys next week. Peace out.
All right, welcome back to Hibley Horror Stories, and I am excited to have our next guest on because she uh, definitely has some aspects to her career that I've never been able to really talk to anybody about, so I'm excited to learn. So please welcome, I'm going to try this, Karosha Ona Carol. Close. You did a perfect job. <laughs> perfect. Well, I won't count on myself to do it right the next time, so we'll just go with KO as your nickname is for the rest That's of it. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. No problem there. Well, welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. Thank you for joining us tonight. I know you've got a, a busy schedule, uh, and you took some time out for us, and I know the listeners will appreciate that. Excellent. I am all ready to go. Fire. Well, let's start with this. The website mm-hmm. uh, is, is com. Uh, yeah. You are billed as Queen of the Paranormal. How did that come about? Uh, that came about about um you know i'm trying to recollect the year but i did 85 programs on wnds broadcast television and also a cable cast out here in new england um and i used to go by the name of cc the huntress and we would say you know cc the huntress is queen of the paranormal and we'd put it on big posters and stuff like that i think it was back in 2006 or seven. And and that happened because a gentleman called into a radio show and he called me the queen of the paranormal and I, it stuck. And I said, you know what? I, I like that name. Uh, so I started using it on posters and then I got it trademarked and uh, and been using it ever since uh, in business. So it's uh, it's paid off plenty for me to be able to, you know, do that. So that's how the name came about. And it's funny because, you know, I've seen over time where. A lot of my counterparts in the ghost hunting uh, industry, uh, they all have their nicknames. You know, they have, uh, you know, the rock and roll ghost hunter or paranormal rock star or grandfather of the paranormal. They got everybody in their mother. And I'm thinking, well, now they got the queen, too. (laughs) There you go. It's all good. (laughs) Well, let me ask you this, because. For most of our listeners that um, I'm sure some of them already know who you are because you, you've been over the years to all of the major conventions, whether it be horror and mm-hmm. paranormal and yes. uh, do a lot of comic cons. Uh, one, of the, one of our one of the things I wanted to touch on was the reason you one of the reasons you go to the comic cons is you've actually had uh, somebody make you into a comic book superhero. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, that happened after I was at the comic cons. I've always had. Um I want to be able to take my knowledge and to teach it to the masses. I don't like to sing to the choir. Uh, well, I have before at, at paranormal uh, conventions. They call them Comic-Cons. No, they don't. They call them Paracons. <laughs> and uh, um, been there, done that for many, many years under the same management as the Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventures and every ghost show out there. We had the same event management company. I uh, uh, was with them for about five years. And so I decided to leave them and go more to a national aspect where I could get out of the church, you know what I mean, I'm not singing to the choir, um, and sing sing to the masses. And my knowledge I have over the many years and the way that I interpret the spirit world for people, I actually let them uh, feel it directly and I don't, um, you know, I don't mince words. I'm, I'm very logical when it comes to this stuff um, and skeptical at times as well. And, uh, and, it, and it's paid off uh, big to be able to get into the, you, you know, um, the larger 
the larger Comic Cons. Um, uh, so in order to be able to take my um, knowledge and my teaching a step further, I, I wanted to do a bunch of different avenues. And lo and behold, you know, someone else had the same idea. And this gentleman, Charles uh, Moisette, walked up to me from um, Silver um, Phoenix Entertainment. And um, he said, hey, I- I'd like you to be in a comic book. And I said, well, okay, look, at I, I don't mind being in a comic book. I want a comic book. Two different things. And so we started off with the, the first adventure, which is um, the Haunted Tales of Bachelor's Grove and working with a, a bunch of different um, artists and writers. And But for me, because my end is factual, I needed to be uh, hands-on with the writing. So I would work with Brian uh, Morris, who was the writer for my stuff, back and forth, back and forth, to make sure we had accuracy when it came to the paranormal aspect or healing aspect or different things you would do to, like, cleanse something or contain a demon or, or whatever. This is my job. So I wanted to have that in the comic book um, as factual as humanly possible and we were able to do that and with doing that i became the very first person ever in comic book history man woman paranormal whatever um to become a superhero doing what she does in real life between the pages of a comic book so that um that was a first for all of us i mean i'm thinking like no that can't be are you sure and they said absolutely we had a comic book historian research it uh no one's objected no one can even counter it because it, it is what it is you know it's a fact which um which is a good thing. It's a great legacy to have for people in the paranormal to be able to get a different avenue, a mainstream avenue to make the subject of the paranormal a little more palatable uh, to many people. And um, again, what I want to do, my goal is to teach to the masses. So this is just one of the avenues that we look at, you know, to go forward. And I know it raised a lot of uh, feathers there in the paranormal industry. They all had a heart attack or something because it was me, a girl, uh, but that's just too bad. Uh, it's it's just the way it happened, and um, and and that's what I can say about that with the comic book. Well, cool. So let me let me ask you this because I know, like I said, for all the listeners out there, you're an amazing, talented woman who does so Thank many you. different things, and you you've done some acting. Let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, what are some of the films that you've been in, which and, and what did you enjoy about doing the the acting. Well, um, I, you know what? It's so funny when you say the acting. I, I totally 100% immerse myself into the character, you know, that they want me to play. Now, when I was in Toxic, uh, Ed, Toxic Tutu, that was a pivotal point right there. Um, to be part of a, a horror a cult classic, which was Toxic Adventure, as we all know, with Mark Torgal and uh, Lloyd Kaufman and Skippy, which is Dominic Calvidio. Um, to be in that movie with those stars and Mel Novak and, and, and uh, geez, the list just goes on of people who were in that movie. And um, so, so you have Toxic Adventure and 30 years later is Toxic Tutu, which kind of brings you up to speed on what happened to the people involved in Toxic Adventure. So it's like 30 years into the future. And I was the one who played a pivotal role to be able to um, twist it into and throw it into the future. And I played myself with my name 
and what I do. And that was a first for the paranormal industry is a first to be able to blend horror and paranormal together at such a top level. And uh, again, feathers were raised, you know, like, you know, how is she getting all these opportunities? And I'm like, well, maybe if you read my resume, you'd figure it out. (laughs) So, um, can't help you. Can't educate yourself. Um, and I always tell people never go by rumor or speculation educate yourself education is key to success in many industries i, I agree 100 percent. i mean it's you can't ever under underestimate yourself if you underestimate yourself you're, you're just doing a great disservice because you mm-hmm. everybody has the power to do pretty much anything they want to do if, if they'll just mm-hmm. put forth the effort and and see that they can make it happen that's that's my yeah thoughts. And, and the beauty about this jerry is this is america it's the best country in the world. We can do and become anything we want. We just have to go out and do it. That's it. We have everything going for us, not against us, you know, and people don't see that. They like to see the negative and the drama and all of this. And um, I think they should focus on the good and, and the beauty of our country and, and get a gist of how the opportunities can come to you if you are positive, you know, if you have positive energy. Unfortunately, all you got to do is spend five minutes on Facebook and you'll see that's not how the majority of people act. I mean, it's just, it's, it's sad that ever, you know, the, the whole misery loves company uh, is so true, especially <laughs> in today's society. Because well, I don't, like I tell you, I don't, I don't do the, um, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Okay, I don't do the um, the paracons. It's basically made up of just lo- local people, anyways, uh, local paranormal groups, and they all get together and have their vendors. And I think that's wonderful. I, I think it's great. Um, but oh my god, I just lost my train of thought. Oh wow, and I didn't even have any wine. That's bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We, we were talking about people being negative on Facebook. Right, right, right. So, anyways, I, I some of these people I see sometimes because you know i i'm here and i go to grocery store i might run into somebody local or whatever and i i am kind of chummy with a few groups here and there some paranormal teams but for the most part i i left that behind when i when i um stood into a more national international um movie television type thing i left that all kind of behind and um i was wondering it was just like two days ago like she said what everybody's doing so i started to surf Facebook. Facebook and lo and behold, this one's calling that one a name. That one's calling this one a name. This one's asking somebody a stupid question. And I'm thinking, oh, that's, geez, I didn't miss anything. I, I could have gone 10 <laughs> years and gone back. It was still would have been doing the same thing. That nobody is taking anybody's uh, information or their paranormal research um, to heart. They just poo-poo things, and um, and that's so sad because there's just so much to learn from many different people. Uh, we're such a diverse society when it comes to the paranormal, um, and everybody has, uh, you know, their own uh, tricks of the trade, uh, ways to do things, ways to interpret things. And it's nice to hear all this stuff. I have such a great time at Comic-Cons because the general public come to see me, and, and – um, they're able to even, you know, teach me, you know, new tricks too, because they're just, you know, bright eye and bushy tail and the big eyes and they're, and they're telling you their stories and they're telling you what they did. They, 
and they're beautiful for it too. And the, the paranormal industry, let's say, that exists on Facebook because it really doesn't like exist anywhere else. These groups and stuff they all like call Facebook. It's like a Facebook famous thing, you know. Um, and uh, they really should start listening um, to their fellow uh, local groups uh, to get that information and share it and um, and be happy and proud of each other. I think that's what they should be doing. That's just my opinion. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, in the, in the podcast world, we kind of do the same thing. I mean, we had a couple of people give us a hand up when we were starting to put us mm-hmm. on their show, give us a little more exposure. And now we try to do the same thing. And with, uh, some of the smaller podcasts that are just starting. And, and I mean, I, right, I'd right. much rather do it that way than to try to look at somebody as competition. I mean, we're all in it for the same thing. We're not competition. No. And, um, I've never looked at the paranormal industry and, you know, celebrity ship or whatever you want to want to call it um, as competition. I, I always I see a lot of people in the industry uh, on the local level that if they don't get famous fast enough, they decide they're going to go chase Bigfoot or something instead. And, and then they're mad at everybody else. And of course, me. Um, but I always tell them, you know, if anybody asks me, uh, you know, how did you get famous? And I'm thinking that's a that's an unusual term. Um, I work hard. Number one, I, I don't concentrate on fame. Number two, I look at it as an avenue to teach the at, at the larger comic cons. Um, it for me, it's a quest for excellence, and not a quest for fame. Because if you're you're on a quest for excellence and you can do good things and and, and teach people and help, then all that rest is just going to follow uh, along. Um, with you and it's it's a proven um theory i mean look at me you know and um i work this every single day seven days a week and my family too so um we all have something to offer but never never concentrate on fame because you know a flash in a pan is easily extinguished that's what i say absolutely let's talk Mm -hmm. about my favorite all-time movie and anybody knows me knows this the exorcist Mm-hmm. You've got a project in, involving uh, The Exorcist. Tell me a little bit about that. Yes. What I did, my my work with The Exorcist comes in with the 40th anniversary of The Exorcist on Blu-ray DVD on the director's cut. If you go to that director's cut, you're going to see a compilation of videos put together, like um, a video clips, I mean, of um, Father Gallagher. And the Father Gallagher... Uh, was um, a Georgetown University professor of divinity, and his student was William Peter Blatty. And Father Gallagher uh, used the bishop's files to teach and prime uh, William Peter Blatty, who wrote the book The Exorcist, and then subsequently the movie. Uh, The bishop's files give you the accurate story and depiction of the exorcisms used to write the book, you know, uh, The Exorcist, and then the movie. And... um, of course, things were tweaked, and we know that Linda Blair played the girl, but it was really a boy, and it was a series of three exorcisms, uh, different places. And with the bishop's files, they also had um, witness statements, uh, witness statements from 70 people that witnessed this particular exorcism, 150 for this particular exorcism, you know, so that they would 
be able to perform the exorcisms based on the actual account and depiction of what was going on in the room at the time that um, people's heads were spinning around. And and just as a side note, I get called often that people think they're being attacked by a demon. They got this, they got that, whatever. And I, I often tell them, just call the five o'clock news because by the time they come to your house, your head should still be spinning and the book's flying off the shelf. You need that many witnesses. And with the TV cameras on there, then you get your witnesses. But I, I've never seen anybody call the news. It kind of like goes away. Um, I'm not making light of demons. I, they do exist. I've seen, seen the bishop's files. <laughs> and so what I do is the bishop's files kind of mirrors the actual movie. So when you see the priest in the movie saying, you unclean spirits, that's a direct quote from the bishop's files, you unclean spirits. And what I did, what I matched it up in sequences of what was said on the bishop's files to what was said on the exorcist original movie. And so you get like this. I call it like switchback, go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And Hollywood did this little bit of magic because my editing is, you know, elementary. And, um, and there, lo and behold, I'm part of uh, the exorcist legacy uh, due to that factor and allowed to use the Warner Brothers, whatever, you know, the logos and the box and all this stuff. So really cool. And that was really cool. Yeah, that's like I said, it's it's you can't I can never get enough of that. The more, the more they want to add and and dissect it, the, I'll just watch right. every bit of it. So it's just and, just, and the, th- the thing is, Warner Brothers only bought 20 minutes of a four hour interview with Father Gallagher. And there's much more on those tapes to, than just the switchback editing and all this stuff like that. And we do have um, two other gentlemen involved with me. One was Bob Boyd from Boyd Communications. And the other one is Mike Siegel, who is a radio show house out in, uh, host in Los Angeles. And um, so we, we work together. And uh, I know that there are going to be more things in the works. Uh, so that's going to be another great opportunity for all of us. Well, that's awesome. Like I said, I hope it just, you know, whatever you guys get out of it, you've got well-deserved because that's a, it's mm-hmm. just a f- fascinating subject to even be able to delve into. Oh, yeah. It's really cool. Now, the main reason that I brought you on the show, I mean, aside from all the other things I want to touch on, because like I said, I, I find you truly fascinating, is I really want to talk about uh, your work as a healer. Uh, I know you do, you know, some readings and and healings and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But this started from a personal experience, uh, at least from my knowledge. Tell me a little bit Mm -hmm. about about your personal experience. Well, uh, my personal experience, first off, I've been doing this. I can't even tell you how many years Um, I the healing aspect. I don't even know if it was maybe all my life, but I have the ability to pray to heal to help, to comfort, almost like a form of Reiki, not even knowing it was Reiki or, you know, Karuna Reiki, Sully's Reiki, uh, a form of healing with the hands. And um, in 2013, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and it was on uh, Valentine's evening, Valentine's Day evening. I um, I went in uh, the day before. I, I was having a problem with my ear, and they thought I might have – something wrong with um, um, the nerves. So they, they, they did this MRI thing, whatever. And what came back was a brain tumor I didn't know I had. And um, it was a, like 
it was a big one and it was in an area where you couldn't really like operate but it, they felt it was not um malignant but it didn't matter because it grows it's going to kill you anyways so <laughs> i'm like well that's comforting and um I didn't tell my family right away. Uh, of course, I told my husband. But I didn't tell the kids. Um, I because of course, what what do you do? R- ring the alarm bells, and eventually, I had to say something because I was going for tests and this and that. And um, I I started to come to my senses and realization that um, I'm going to start to self heal and use all the knowledge I have and the way I've helped other people to heal myself. And I kept uh, visualizing. I kept doing, um, geez, I used so many different combinations of energy uh, force, which, uh, you know, I, could, I use elemental uh, energy force. Uh, that's, that's new. A lot of people don't do that. That's, that's calling on, like, the rain, the wind, the leaves, the dirt, the rocks, the, everything that has energy to pull forward along with, like, uh, chai force energy or chi force energy, they call it. And, um, and of course, uh, the Reiki and the healing uh, from the universe. And just imagining my hand going into my brain and pulling it out and throwing it away. And so I was being scheduled for surgery to see, you know, what they could do. They could grab part of it, you know. It would make its way to the path of least resistance as it grew. And so the path of least resistance was they have to was going to go through my nasal passages and, and grab what they could. So they had to redo the, you know, the MRI. And what came back was there was there was no tumor and what was left was just the sac that it came in and that looked like it was shrinking so i had gone back another time like five six months later another mri and it was completely gone and i do attribute that to the healing process of positive energy and and how i i healed myself so i have that and now i'm working on my back (laughs) so um I always tell people that um, healings do work. They work 100%, but they don't always work in the manner that you would hope they would at times. And um, like if someone has, uh, let's say, let's say cancer, and they want a healing, and it doesn't clear the cancer. But what it might do is... is um, make your family have a different type of acceptance and understanding to make it easier for you to go through the transition of life into death. Uh, so it does work. It just works in a different manner. And um, if they do go to my page, you'll see a bunch of stories where we deal with, uh, there was this boy, um, Trent um, Bryant's brother had, um, had cancer, diagnosed and I did a healing for him remotely, and he went back and didn't have it at all. Like, it just wasn't, none, none of it was there. So um, that was an amazing feat right there. So I, I do a lot of these healings. I do them with animals as well and people, and I do them remotely, um, and they're always, always free. I never charge. I don't do anything. God gave me a gift, and I share it. Um, as far as my readings, what I do is I read energy. I don't do this, you know, the typical psychic reading. Um, I don't believe in a lot of psychics like, or you know, spirit mediums, whatever they want to call themselves. I, uh, I think 90, 98% of them can go to hell in a handbag. 
um, and the 2% that are left within the world, which means millions upon millions of them are probably pretty darn good. So, um, and I have, and the reason I claim this is because I have gone with a bunch of friends and I've taken money out of my own pocket and we all go for a reading to the same person, man or woman. And, um, lo and behold, it looks like we all got the same reading and I don't like that. Another thing, I, because of the, the claim I make about I don't like the psychics, uh, is because I was a police officer in Lawrence, Massachusetts, um, uh, Unit 1, the gang task force. I graduated Northeast Regional Police Institute um, in Tewksbury, Massachusetts, top of my class and top of my class in firearms training. And with that knowledge, right then and right there, I have seen detectives do better psychic work than psychics themselves. Because it's like a, it's a leading process, and you watch for uh, eye eye movement, you watch for jaw clenching, you watch for respiration, you watch for heartbeat, you know, on the arteries. And there's a way, like you can answer, you know, get the questions right in there, and you watch for their their response. And I do feel a lot of people who are psychic, psychic mediums, they do this because hey, they're in business, they want money. They, they they play on on the heartstrings of others and it's it's not good, um, and that's the vast majority of them. And um, of course we we still have millions and millions of the ones who can actually do it right, and they do a good job. Like you just sit there and you don't move. I, I feel you should go to a psychic and just turn turn your back to them, I, then let them work. We'll I, see how good they are. I could see that they don't get a chance to read your facial expressions or pick up on you know like being a poker right. player. And I've been called a whole bunch of names because, you know, I don't um, agree with that. But I, I, I feel I have uh, – anybody has the right to say anything they want. But, you know, I have knowledge of it because of the research I've done. So that's why I opened my mouth. I think, you know? they, and, I think they probably call you a whole bunch of names because they can't pronounce your first name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, it's a humdinger, huh? <laughs> but – uh, it's the way it is. I'm Polish and Russian, and I have Abenaki, a Native American in me from Newport, Vermont, and um, a little bit of French and Lithuanian. So I'm, I'm a pretty good mix. My goodness. <laughs> mm-hmm. I saw, I think one, one of the coolest things that I saw was that uh, in, in 2016, you actually went uh, to the Capitol steps to put a healing yes. on Washington. Um, mm hmm. You may need to yeah. go back. <laughs> you know, that's fun. That's funny you mentioned that. I was actually asked to go back by one of the security people there. He got a hold of me just the other day, and he was the guy that kind of help, helped us out, you know, when I was there and uh, you know, kept an eye on us. You never know what could happen. I'm, um, I, so I, I'm contemplating that. But I do have an upcoming uh, – I've got more filming to do. I've got um, – as far as uh, media work, I'll be working with the Huffington Post doing a series of three more programs. So it's, it, it looks like we're going to be doing four shows with the Huffington Post. Uh, and those will be um, all written up in the Huffington Post and carried on the, uh, I think, I believe, the Jimmy Star show. Oh, cool. That's, uh, that's a different kind of podcast. He does a lot of um, he, he, I, he's, like stars, I guess. I don't know, from he, Hollywood. <laughs> he is a unique individual. I will say that. Oh, God, yes. I mean, I love him to death. I do. I find him fascinating. And that guy's smart. 
He's really smart, a very smart individual. And we did a, a show together, and it went viral. And it went viral, like, literally in a day and a half. And then, of course, when the Huffington Post hit, that was an amazing story. Um, no other person has gotten that much coverage that I got uh, in the Huffington Post or any paper like that. Um, I do know that Jason Hawes had a couple sentences in the Huffington Post uh, once. And, I mean, I, I had literally the whole thing, like like pages so and, and video and pictures and every other thing. So I'm just, like, patting myself on the back. And, you know, people like to... I guess, you know, poke fun um, and body shame me and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I don't go for that. I pray for them. I hope they all grow up. I didn't say anything about your body didn't need to be shamed. That's just me. <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you very much. But, um, you know, no, I, I think it's when when people in, I think in any industry, but I find uh, far more the paranormal industry, uh, when they can't find something to criticize you for, like your work or your accomplishments and achievements that you've done uh, in the field of the paranormal, then they turn to maybe your your physical attributes and and things. And and I just find that we're all adults. I don't. I hope you don't raise your kids like that. You know, this is what I'm thinking. You know, you wouldn't want them to body shame anybody. So why are you doing it? You know. I see it on Facebook all the time, um, paranormal people body shaming other paranormal people. It's just really weird. Um, I'm just so glad I don't do the local stuff anymore. <sighs> why don't we? Uh, why don't we end with this? Because it's been it's been fun. This 30 sure. minutes has just flown by. Excellent. Why don't you tell everybody out there if they like what they hear and they want to get in contact with you, the best way to do that to see where you're at and that type of thing. Okay, if you want to learn more about me um, and all the cool things that I've been into and the movies and the, uh, and the movies continuing, uh, like the HBO series I'm doing with Ron, the Rottweil Kerner, an actual mob boss. Um, they, they just took his bracelet off so uh, on, his a- on his ankle so he can like go to three states now. But <laughs> he is the real deal. He's the he's the last of the tough uh, Jews and a very good friend of mine. So we'll be working together and all the other different projects. And if you'd like to donate to the healing projects we do for travel funds, that'd be great. You can go to queenoftheparanormal.com. And from there, you can find everything we haven't talked about. And you can get a hold of me. And I'm very receptive. I do answer my messages and um, texts and whatever. I can vouch for that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because this whole thing was thrown together actually, literally like twelve hours ago. Uh, That's and, right. And that yeah. was that was pretty awesome. And uh, yeah. Now Rottweiler, he was a. Uh, some of our listeners out there will know he was actually a, a boxer, also a pretty accomplished boxer. Yes. So a very accomplished boxer, and of course he had um, you know the weight of. Um, let's say the wise guys behind him and he's putting together a show. Um, in fact, we're going to be filming with him with, um, with Jimmy star and the Huffington post. And we're going to be doing a show with him, uh, in, in some of these locations that he's familiar with. And, um, Great guy. Uh, they're going to be doing a, a, a brand new series on him uh, when they clear all the, the federal um, regulations because you have to know what you can say, what you can't say, and, you know, uh, stuff like that when it comes to um, the wise guys. And um, I'm part of that. And it's kind of like the Sopranos, but with real, real people, like real 
people that were involved. And so um, I, I find that interesting myself, you know, to learn more about that. Um, I don't know much about the mob industry, but uh, it would be nice to learn and learn from the people that were involved in it. I would highly advise anybody if they haven't seen the uh, the little snippet you were talking about with uh, Jimmy Starr and yourself that went viral. It's it's on your website, so they can find it on there. Yes, um, it's crazy. Yeah, Jimmy does. <laughs> Jimmy just says whatever he wants to say, and, and you know it's it's okay because I, I've been finally we got it in the open, and you know um, he asked about you know my attributes there, and I'm thinking, okay, here it comes. I'm either going to punch them out or <laughs> just they they're real, you know, they're real. And for years in the paranormal industry, that's all I've ever heard was this, that, or the other thing about my body. And, um, I just tell people, you know what? God made me in his likeness, a woman likeness and made you like him in his likeness and you like him in his like or her like him and her in his likeness. And he loves us. So therefore, if you have a problem with me, him, her, or somebody else, you can take it up, you know, with the man upstairs because he created me. And um, so I was glad that Jimmy did that and we laughed about it. We had so much fun, you know, because uh, I am 100% real. I am the real deal. And um, I don't pull any punches or any, you know, side talk. I'll just tell you the way it is. And that's how I like to do my paranormal is uh, I do it live to tape. Uh, with with no going back in an edit, wiggly cameras, too much music. I really just want people to see what's happening. Awesome, awesome, so much. Thank you so yeah. much for being a part of this. And uh, oh, thank you, Jerry. Thank you for getting a hold of me. This was fun. Well, it's like I said, I've been I've been kind of following you for uh, the last two or three months, just wanting to say something to you, and then uh, finally today just pulled the string on it. So worked out. Oh, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you did. Today, I was out, like I was saying, you know, I had a really busy day when we talked before the taping. Um, I was out buying clothes for um, some women that needed it. I uh, dropped it off at the homeless shelter. I bought a bunch of summer tops and um, and went out. And the day before, I was doing um, animal rescue. So um, always giving, always, you know, trying to teach my kids to you know, give back and be good. And uh, you'll, you'll get blessings back tenfold with that. We did, uh, we did the same thing uh, a couple of years ago. My daughter was working for a, a place, and they gave her a turkey for Thanksgiving. And, oh, nice. uh, and you know, we already had a turkey, and, you know, so we decided that we were going to go down to one of the homeless shelters and just drop it off to them. And it was oh, a te- teaching experience for her. And then she had never been to a homeless shelter. And, and when we went down there and she got to see the people around, I think it was a really eye-opening experience. And I think from, it is. Yeah, from this point forward, she's always been a little more uh, in tune to what she has compared to what not everybody else has. Exactly. I, I think it's a, it, like you said, it's an eye opener and I commend you because you did, you did the right thing. You showed her what other people don't have, but you also see a lot of people who don't have give more than the people that have. That's true. And, um, I see it all the time. You know, if I'm, if I go to like a community, they might be homeless on the common area or whatever. I'm always out there chatting, talking, laughing, and they're offering to buy me coffee. I'm like, what? No, 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 no. So I just I go out and you know get coffee for everybody and stuff. But, um, but if there's an emergency or there's something going on, um, they would just take their shirt off for you. 
I seriously, and um, I in return would do the same. And that's why I try to, you know, stay focused on the different communities that I, I do charitable work for. So if you take your Make shirt sure off, that people have what they need. I'm sure if you take your shirt off, they're going to lose focus of uh, what they That's don't meta- have right off the bat. Metaphorically speaking. <laughs> oh, oh okay. my God. Okay, I misunderstood. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Oh, that's too funny. Oh, you are a riot. Well, darling, thank you so uh-huh. much. I'm not going to take up any more of your time. I know you've had a busy day already, and I appreciate what you've given us. Well, you know what? To, to be able to share knowledge and who I am, people to come into the website, uh, I always have time for that. So we got to do this again sometime in the future. That would be really cool. And you hit me up anytime, all right? Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.